You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read that. Now it came to pass in the days when the, who? When the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Heavenly Father, we need you tonight. And I ask that you would please fill me with your spirit as I retell this story that you have told to us. Help us to see the purpose of it, the application to our lives, and let us never look at this book the same. Help us to fall in love with you, with your redemption, with your love, and with your Bible again. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Written around 1050 to 1000 BC, we don't know exactly. Uh, Time period is covering about 1150 to 1100 BC. Again, don't know exactly. The author, really don't know. Possibly Samuel, just because of the time period that it is covering. Um, And it's basically in uh, kind of an appendix to the book of Judges and an introduction to the book of 1 Samuel. Possibly Samuel, but we honestly just don't know. Uh, the audience is the nation of Israel. And the book is a story. It's, just, it's, a, it's a story. It takes you about 15 minutes to read, four chapters. Uh, and it holds three main purposes. And here's, we're going to mention the purposes now, and then we'll come around full circle to it at the very end. It has, an, it has a historical purpose, okay? The historical purpose is to trace Abraham's lineage to Jesus, to the Messiah. That's the historical purpose. To trace Abraham's lineage to Jesus or the Messiah, the promised seed of the woman that God gives in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It has an educational purpose, you could say. Or, or you know how you read a story and it has a moral to it, right? So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, and the educational purpose is to show us how God is involved in Every aspect of the world. God is involved in every aspect of the world. But then lastly, it holds a spiritual, and I mean, even the historical and educational is spiritual, but a spiritual and symbolic purpose. And it's to illustrate the redemption of the church by Jesus Christ. To illustrate how we were redeemed by Jesus in this story, okay? The story was divided into four chapters, and rather than giving the outline all up front, we're just going to give it as we go and as we review the story together. How many of you, Ruth, is your favorite book? Yes? Oh, good. Well, I hope you enjoy this and learn something new today. So chapter one, in verse one, I see a brutal famine, a brutal famine. We learned about this last week in Sunday school. Uh, And it's important to note, as we saw and as we read in verse one, that this story takes place in the days when the judges ruled. Don't know exactly when. It's pointless to try to pinpoint it. But knowing that it is in the days when the judges ruled tells us a couple very key things, some things that we can be sure of. First of all, this is a time of spiritual darkness, and this is a time of national disobedience. We need to remember that. It's in the days when the judges ruled, when men just did what they wanted to do. They did what was right in their own eyes. Um, this is without a doubt in my mind why God allowed this famine to come 
to this area, and as it specifically brings out to Bethlehem, Judah. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 28, when God says, if you do not obey, if you choose to follow other gods, I'm going to send pestilence, I'm going to take away the fruit, uh, the, the fruit of your land, the fruit of the womb, I'm going to take away all of that until you turn back to me. And we're seeing an illustration of that right now, an example of it in Ruth 1 verse 1. Verse 2, I see a blatant failure. And yes, all of these are a B word and a word beginning with F. So you could follow along with that. So a brutal famine and a blatant failure. You have Elimelech and his family, uh, which is his wife Naomi and his sons Malon and Chilion, and they leave Bethlehem and travel to Moab. Let's make this easy. Moab is not the promised land. Moab is the enemy. Moab is filled with Heathen people, Moab is known for child sacrifice, it's known for idolatry, it's known for fornication. But because it had some food, they left and they went to Moab. In Bethlehem, think about this, they had to live by faith. In Moab, they could live by sight. So they left. And they told themselves it would only be for a little while, and yet they continued there for ten long years. Within those ten years, Elimelech's sons Marry two Moabite women, Orpah, we're all thanking the Lord for our names tonight, Orpah and Ruth. And then within those 10 years as well, all three men die. So in verse 3 through 7, I see a broken family. This family was broken emotionally. To lose one of those people would have been hard. To lose three in such a short period of time. Can you imagine the heartbreak? That came to this, to, this, to this family, to these ladies. This family was broken financially. Men are the breadwinners, okay? Especially back then in a heathen culture, in an ancient time. There were no jobs that a woman could hold in those days, especially in a, in a heathen land like Moab that could support that family. So they're broken financially now. The family's broken socially. A widow holds no social status, in ancient times. This is why God gave special commandment that God's people take care of widows. Because that was not common practice. In fact, common practice was to take advantage of a widow's situation, to take advantage of a, wi of a widow's desperation, move them into forced labor, even you can imagine what a woman would be subject to in a land like Moab. Exodus 22, 22 says, when God's speaking to his people, thou shalt not, thou shalt not afflict any widow or father this child. You take care of them. Don't take advantage of their situation. Don't use their desperation and their situation where they would do anything just to make it by. Don't you use that for your advantage. Not my people, but they're in Moab. And now that all three men are dead, all of their social status, all their protection is gone. So in verse 8 through 14, I see a bleak future. In Naomi's mind, you got two options. Stay in Moab, return to Bethlehem. Neither of those options, taking the fact that Bethlehem is where she belongs, okay, neither of those options really offered much hope. Okay, so Bethlehem is no longer under the famine. But returning home without a limelech means she no longer had any claim over her inheritance. Okay? So 
she would have no way to care for the property long term. Now, the law of Moses had a provision for widows where the property could be redeemed by somebody called a kinsman redeemer. Remember this. A kinsman redeemer could redeem the property, and at that point, both the heirs of the dead man, which in uh, Naomi's case would be Elimelech, so his heirs, which is now including Ruth and Orpah, and then also the property that belonged with him needed to be purchased, and it could only be purchased by a near kinsman, and in fact, it went to the nearest living male relative. You couldn't be a redeemer unless you were a blood relative, unless you were willing to redeem, and you were able to redeem. Following along? Right that? Yeah, yeah. It's getting good, and we haven't even gotten to the preaching yet. Very good. However, wait, wait, wait. It had been 10 years. It's been 10 years since she's been in Bethlehem. What if all of her kinsmen moved away like she did? What if they died over the last 10 years like her husband did and her sons did? Uh, <laughs> and on top of all that, it's the time of the judges where there is no king in Israel and men are just doing whatever they want in their own eyes. Who's to say they would even follow the law? Who's to say they would even do what they knew was right? To redeem property, and especially to redeem a family along with that property, was very expensive. It was an expensive transaction. Now, over time, perhaps, it could turn into a return on investment, but that initial redemptive price, redeeming price, you know what I'm talking about, was expensive. Okay? Then... We already spoke about how widows are treated in a land like Moab, right? And, and what their expectations would be there. Maybe Ruth and Orpah could return to their mother's house and find another husband to care for them. So that's what Naomi tells them to do. You just need to go back home to your mother's house and you need to find husbands because that's what we need. We need husbands. We need a protector. We need a provider. And she says in verse 12, I'm too old. I'm too old. I'm not going to find a husband. Even if I do find a husband, are you going to wait until I have children and they grow up and then you marry them? No. No, of course you're not going to do that. You just need to go back home. Because let's get one thing straight here. For however difficult it may be to find a husband in, in Moab, it's going to be exceedingly more difficult for you to find a husband in Canaan, in, in, in the promised land, in Bethlehem, because you're Moabites. Israelites don't marry Moabites. So Orpah returns, but Ruth cleaves, Ruth clave unto Naomi. And here we see a bold faith. Look in verse 15. She said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and under her gods. That's a problem. One of Naomi's daughter, daughters-in-law is in hell today because of this decision. She went back to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. 
Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And whoa, 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 whoa. Thy God, my God. That's a big decision. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Ruth had no doubt heard of Jehovah from this family. This was more than Ruth choosing to stay with Naomi. This was Ruth choosing to put her faith in the God of Israel, to trust in him to provide for her. She basically says, the Lord can do whatever he pleases with me, but I am not leaving you except by death. So they both return to Bethlehem. Verse 19 through 22, I see a bitter fact. Moab had changed Naomi for the worse. Sin had devastated this woman. The decision that Elimelech made was a horrible mistake. And she says in her own words in verse 21, I went out full. Now, wait a second. It was a famine. That's why she left. And Naomi said, no, no, no. I, I went out full. Shouldn't have left. I went out full. The Lord hath brought me home again empty. Let that be a lesson to us. We will be more full in the famine of God's will than in the plenty of the plains of Moab. God's famines are better than Satan's riches. Stick it out. Be faithful. If they would have stayed in Bethlehem, things would be different. But what was done was done. There's nothing she could do about it now. There is one glimmer of hope, though. They returned to Bethlehem right at the beginning of barley harvest, it says in verse 22. Right after barley harvest and kind of uh, uh, intermixed with it is the wheat harvest. So they at least had the ability for a few months to glean in the harvest fields, possibly bring home some food so that they could at least make it through physically. They're going to have to figure out the financial problem later. Uh, but that is just a little bit of a glimmer of hope there. Leviticus 19 and 23 tells us about this matter of gleaning. It tells farmers to leave the remnants of their harvest. Don't throw them away. Don't burn them. If you're moving along and you realize that you dropped something behind you, don't pick it up. Let the poor, let the widow, let the orphan go and pick that up and let them make that for their food. That was called gleaning. But again, what guarantee is there that a farmer, during a time of spiritual rebellion and right after a time of famine, when every ounce of harvest counts, who's to say that they're even going to obey that? This is an issue. There's a lot of questions that are going on in their mind right now. A lot of unknowns. Chapter 2, a blessed find. Ruth makes a decision. She's going to go gleaning, but there's a lot of fields to choose from. Some of these fields are huge, enormous, and different portions of the field belong to different people. You could have one field that's an acre, and it could belong to 10 different people. They just have a, a portion of it that they planted. Chances are the farmers aren't caring too much about following the law right now. Even if they are, as soon as they find out Ruth is a Moabite, what do you think they're going to say to her? Go away. Okay? So this is why she says, I will glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. You see that in verse 2? Let me go now to a field and glean ears of corn after him whose sight I shall find grace. Grace. You know what she's saying? The only way I will ever be allowed to even glean the scraps of a field is if somebody shows me some unmerited favor. That's the only way I'll get anything. But 
I'm going to go. Now in chapter 2, verse 1, the Holy Spirit gives us a little extra information so that we can fully appreciate what is about to happen here. As it turns out, one of Naomi's near kinsmen did survive the famine. And not only did he survive the famine, he is a mighty man of wealth. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. He has it made in the shade, wherein swayed, drinking high grade, not minute made, but homemade pink lemonade. Do you want me to repeat that? Well, we're good. Okay. He's rich. He's rich. He's a mighty man of wealth. Just so happens that he is alive, and his name was Boaz. And of all the fields that Ruth could have chosen to glean, the Bible says her hap in verse 3. Her hap. It just so happened that of all the fields, of all the portions of the fields that she could have chosen, she ends up in whose field? You guessed it, Boaz. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Her hap, right? Who is this Boaz? Okay, so he is a believing farmer, verse 4. A believing farmer. The greeting that Boaz and his workers shared. It's a clear display of their faith and devotion to God. Boaz was a spiritual man. He's a businessman. He's a kind man. He's treating his servants with kindness. They're reciprocating it right back. They obviously have a relationship. We're about to see he's also a very gracious man. Because in verse 5 through 18, we see a benevolent favor. And all the teenagers thinking, I don't know how to spell benevolent. It's B-E-nevolent. So he immediately notices Ruth because he's a, good, he's a good businessman. He immediately notices Ruth. No doubt she's not the only gleaner there. It's right after a famine. There's going to be a lot of gleaners right now. Um, and he inquires as to her identity. She's a Moabite. She came back with Naomi. And instead of just worrying about herself, she's out here in the heat working to make sure that Naomi is being taken care of. And Boaz goes straight to Ruth. And can you imagine, you knew who the landowner was. Can you imagine Ruth's heart <laughs> starting to beat as he walked? What's he going to say? Go away. Go away. What are you doing here? You're a Moabite. You have no place here. Or maybe he's going to say, uh, you've gathered enough from me. Go gather somewhere else. You've been here for a long time. You've even taken a break and you went back. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You've gleaned here. Now you go. It's like, <laughs> it's like what some of my friends get told when they go to the Chinese buffet. <laughs> All you can eat means you come, you eat a little, and then you leave. Seriously, some of my friends were told that at a, at a Chinese buffet that we went to right by our college. Uh, you eat no more. You eat no more. So maybe Boaz was going to say that. But no. Instead, he says, don't glean in any other field. Why? Because he probably knows how she would be treated in any other field. He says, don't glean in any other field. In fact, you stay by my maidens and you reap where they reap. When you're thirsty, drink from my water supply and don't worry about my men. I told them to leave you alone. Okay, now wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You got to wrap your head around what is happening here. This is a big time wow. Highlight, circle, underline. Write wow next in your Bible. This is an unspeakable act of favor shown by Boaz to this lady. Look in verse 10. 
of chapter 2, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. And look at this phrase here. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. Under whose wings. That is a symbol of protection and care. We still use the term of taking somebody underneath your wing. Boaz admired how Ruth trusted Israel, or the God of Israel, sorry, to be her provider. Now I want you to take that phrase, under whose wings thou art come to trust, I want you to take that phrase, and I want you to tuck it into your pocket, okay? Ladies, you don't have pockets, but tuck it into your purse, okay? How do you know a lady has pockets in her dress? She will tell you right away. Immediately. That's a nice dress. Thanks, it has pockets. Every single time. It's the most important thing. It's like the cherry on top, right? Boaz goes even further. He says, it's lunchtime. I want you to come and eat. So now I want you to imagine Ruth's reaction, what's going through her mind as she sits down among Boaz's reapers. They don't mistreat her. They don't judge her. They share a meal with her. I can just imagine her sitting there, walk, looking around, what's going on? And then Boaz himself serves her. Look in verse 14. He reached her parched corn. Boys, write that down, okay? You want to win the girl in college. No engagement ring. Give her some parched corn. And he, he reached her. He piled it up in her, on her plate. And she ate. She was sufficed and left. And that doesn't mean she just goes. Hum, 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 hum. No, she had leftovers. She had so much. She had leftovers. This is going to come into play in just a little bit. So think about this. Boaz had given her more than she ever needed or wanted. Ruth goes back to work. Boaz does even more. He instructs his men, don't just let her take the straps. I want you to let her take the sheaves as well. Every now and then, when you make your own bushel, I want you to drop it right in front of her. Don't say anything to her. Let her take it. Ruth works until evening. She leaves Boaz's field with an ephah of barley. It's about five days of food. Now imagine the conversation that she has with Naomi at the end of the day. Ruth not only feeds Naomi the leftovers of her meal that she gets from Boaz, but she shows her five days worth of food. That doesn't happen when you glean. That doesn't happen. You're, maybe you get enough for yourself. Maybe you get enough for the next day. But you don't get five days worth of food. No wonder Naomi says in verse 19, where hast thou gleaned today? <laughs> Seriously. You found the sale of sales. What's going on today? Verse 19, where hast thou gleaned today? Where, where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. What field did you glean in? Oh, his name is uh, 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 Boaz. Wait. Did you say Boaz? I need these. Did you say Boaz? Yeah, Boaz. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth. Boaz is a kinsman 
a near kinsman. We following along? See what the wheels are turning now? Okay. So, <laughs> Ruth then looks back and says, well, he told me to stay in his field, only glean from his field. I mean, he even lets me take from the good barley, not just the scraps. And Naomi goes, oh, Ruth, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Do as he says, stay there. And for the rest of the barley harvest, the rest of the wheat harvest, she is taken care of by Boaz. A bountiful fall, not like a trip, ah, but autumn. Okay, it's, it's a word that begins with F. Give me a break. Okay, so verse 19 through 23, a bountiful fall. Let me ask a question. Why would Ruth go anywhere else when she's being treated this way by Boaz? How foolish would it be to say, I appreciate it, but I'm going to go do it my own way. No, come on. For, th for about three months, from barley harvest to wheat harvest, she's taken care of by Boaz. Look in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, which whose with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. And thou shalt go in, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Pause. Seems a little strange, right? We have strange customs today as well. Uh, when I went down to Argentina on a missions trip when I was young, their custom, they don't do handshakes. They do a kiss on the cheek, cheek. That was hard for me. That was difficult for me. <laughs> I was constantly in the Taekwondo stance, you know, just stay away, stay away. Okay, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a custom back then, it, it's, it seems. Okay, and here, here's what Naomi is saying. Shall I not seek rest for thee? It's talking about marriage, okay? Boaz has taken such good care of you. He's our kinsman when I was in college, okay? I was completely blind to Miss Tracy's affection toward me. I just did not know. She was, she was sweet, she was beautiful, cute, and all those things, good things. Uh, but what I'm thinking is, and I wasn't that much of an idiot. What I'm thinking is, why would somebody like that be interested in this? <laughs> why would a lady like Tracy Lynn Renfro have anything to do with John Timothy Che? And my brother came up one day and basically said, you moron, <laughs> she likes you. And he made me promise, the jerk, he made me promise, the next time you see her, why don't you ask her to be your girlfriend? I saw her the next day. I didn't think I was going to see her for like another two weeks. I was like, sure, my brother would forget. The next day, she shows up like six hours away. Anyways, so Naomi is saying to Ruth, wash, anoint yourself, change your clothes. Widows had a traditional look. They had a mourning look. Stop wearing those clothes. Naomi is, is proposing that Ruth propose to Boaz by laying down at his feet. Why not, right? 
That should get his attention. So Ruth, <laughs> so Ruth obeys Naomi. She finds Boaz sleeping on a pile of corn. This guy in corn, man. <laughs> she uncovers his feet and lies down. And at midnight, Boaz wakes up and finds a woman lying at his feet. Read verse 9 here. And he said, who art thou? And she said, and she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Again, presumably, this is an ancient custom symbolizing marriage where a man would, uh, okay, so, so today we give uh, an, an engagement ring, right? Okay, so when maybe marriage was proposed and they came to an agreement, the man would take his cloak and he would put it over the lady that he was engaged to, presumably. So this is what old-fashioned engagements look like. <laughs> That's presumably what's going on. But the word skirt, the word skirt, you know what that word is in Hebrew? Wing. Right? Okay? Is it in our pocket, in your purse? Okay. So... Boaz told her before, a full reward be given to thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now Ruth is telling Boaz, according to the law of Moses, would you take me under your wing as my kinsman redeemer and my husband? Oh, told you, Hallmark, run. Now, now, now wait, in all seriousness though, Boaz looks back to her and he says, fear not. She's trembling at this point. Because if Boaz says no, if Boaz says no, they're in trouble. If Boaz says no, where else are they going to find redemption? Where else are they going to find any hope? They had no hope other than Boaz. And Boaz tells her, I am able, I am willing to redeem you and be your husband. But there's actually a kinsman nearer than me. Commercial break. <laughs> and he says, I have to allow him the first choice to redeem and marry you, and if he does, well. He says, that's what's for the best. But if he doesn't, then I promise I will redeem you. Ruth leaves the next morning with another blessing of food. She returns to Naomi. Naomi asks her, who art thou, my daughter? Not because she had amnesia, but she's basically saying, are you, are you Boaz's betrothed? Is that who you are? And she explains the situation. Naomi tells her, look, it's not going to take long. Boaz is going to resolve this matter today. Today, he's going to take care of it. So in chapter 3, I see a blocked fiancé. There's a nearer kinsman that needs to be talked to. In chapter four, Boaz confronts this nearer kinsman with 10 elders of the city as witnesses. Boaz explains the situation, how it's the duty of this man as the nearest of kin to redeem the land that belonged to Elimelech. Remember, to redeem a piece of property was an expensive transaction, not only the purchase price, but then also the maintenance of everything. And the kinsman immediately responds in verse four, I will redeem it. And we're thinking, no, no. She's Boaz's, right? They love each other. But then Boaz reminds the man of another cost of redemption. 
says in verse 5, Then Boaz says, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So redeeming the land from an older widow, and this is, it's, it's a difficult custom to understand, but here, here's what I see in, in my study, here's what I see in it and, and other people um, have brought and I agree with what they say. Redeeming land from an older widow like Naomi was pretty much a permanent addition to your inheritance because Naomi isn't going to find another husband and she, she's too old to find a husband for the most part and she's too old to have kids. So at that point when you purchase that, uh, it would stay in that man's family name. However, when Ruth is introduced into the situation, a younger lady who can find a husband and, and can have children, now the purchase price, the redemption price, not only is property, but also it is Ruth, and you need to raise up seed through Ruth. At that point, when a son is born, the property then transfers back into Ruth's husband's name, Malon, and he loses that inheritance. So at that point, doesn't make sense for him financially, he's saying. I'm, I'm going to mar my own inheritance if I do that. Maybe he's married and has kids already. I'm not bringing another lady into the family. It's very possible. The Lord doesn't give us that detail. But he says in one way or another, I cannot do it. There's a custom in Deuteronomy 25. When you can't do it, you take your shoe off and you hand it to the other person. Weird, I, I know. But you take your shoe off and you hand it to the next kinsman redeemer if he can go ahead and redeem it. Boaz takes it and he says, I don't care about the cost. I'm redeeming the property, and I'm redeeming Ruth to be my wife. Now let me ask this question. What would cause a man like Boaz to pay such a price to redeem and marry a poor, plain, undeserving Moabite woman? He must love her very much. So I see in verse 1 through 12, a beloved foreigner, a beloved foreigner. Verse 13 through 16, a brightened family. They have a boy and they name him Obed. Naomi takes care of Obed as if he's her own. And wouldn't you know it, Obed grows up and he has a boy named Jesse and Jesse grows up and he has a boy named David, the future king of Israel and the forefather of Jesus Christ. A beautiful fulfillment in verse 17 through 22. Now let's talk about the purpose here and we'll be done. So without the book of Ruth, we would be missing key information historically. Here's the historical purpose. Without Ruth, we would be missing key information to trace the line of Christ all the way back to Abraham and specifically to the tribe of Judah. In the last five verses of the book, verse 18 through 22, the historical purpose of tracing the seed of Abraham to David and then on to Christ is fulfilled. But God doesn't just tack on those five verses to the end of Judges. He doesn't add it on to the beginning of 1 Samuel. He tells us the whole story because he wants to fulfill a couple of other purposes. 
So what's the educational purpose? Well, do you see how we can learn from the story of Ruth even today? Let me ask you something. At any time in the book of Ruth, do you see God speaking? Do you see the Bible saying, and the Lord said to Ruth, and the Lord said to Naomi, here's what you do, here's where you go, here's when you do it. Anytime? No, you don't. In fact, much of what happens in the book seems to be completely by chance and at some points even out of control. But wait, even though we don't see God specifically speaking in the book, God had spoken through his law. And when Elimelech failed to trust God in the famine, God had already given a law. He had already given his word. He had already given guidance. Instead of staying in Bethlehem, Elimelech knew better than that. He knew better than that. And the testimony of his own wife when she returns pays, uh, gives proof to that. She says, I went out full, but God has brought me back again empty. But then we see a shift with Ruth and Boaz. Two people, one Jew, one Gentile, that simply choose to put their faith in God and be obedient. That was their decision. And from then on, it just so happens that Ruth chooses Boaz's field. It just so happens that Boaz is one of the few faithful men in Israel. It just so happens that Boaz is a near kinsman. It just so happens he's wealthy enough to redeem the property and Ruth. It just so happens that he shows her favor. It just so happens that they fall in love. It just so happens that for months Ruth and Naomi are completely cared for. Just so happens the other kinsmen can't redeem Ruth. Just so happens that they get married, that they have a son who just so happens to be an integral piece of the lineage of the promised seed of the woman that leads to Jesus. What a coincidence. Or, or, do we think that when God sees ordinary people who simply make the decision to be faithful and obedient to his word, regardless of what may happen, regardless of what trials may come, regardless uh, or even when obedience to God's word doesn't suit their desires, Boaz knew obeying God's law might make me lose Ruth. But if that other kinsman redeemer redeems her, then that's what's for the best. We need to obey God's law. And they stayed faithful. God is an active God. He's not indifferent to his people. He works in and with and through every aspect of our lives to bring about his will, and not just for your life, but for generations, for generations to come. Your obedience and your faithfulness to God's word will affect generations. He works in every person's life. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. As long as you are breathing, God is working in your life. Be faithful and obedient. He works with every piece of your life. The wantonness, death, sickness, famine, wealth, your origin, your personality. God works with every ingredient of your life to bring about his purpose. Some ingredients are bitter, some are sweet, some are encouraging, some are discouraging, some are joyful, some are sorrowful. We may not understand every ingredient that God brings into our life. We may not understand certain pieces about it. Why do I have this pain? 
Why do I have this sickness? Why did that person have to die? Why do I have this heartbreak? Why did this blessing come to me? Why am I here? Why aren't I there? What is going on with me? But all things, whether good or bad, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He works through every decision that we make. Every choice, every conversation, every sojourn to Moab, every return to Bethlehem. And what have we learned in every book of the Bible so far? Good decisions are based in faith and obedience to God, and they lead to life and blessing. All the way back to the garden. Bad decisions are based in doubt and disobedience to God, and they lead to evil and death and punishment. But God is so merciful, he's so faithful, when he sees the simple choice to repent and return to him, he can work through even the bad decisions, even the consequences that have been brought to our lives to bring about something beautiful. What about the symbolic purpose? It doesn't take much to see ourselves symbolized in the lives of the book of Ruth, does it? We were heathens, utterly separated from God and his blessings, but somebody came into our lives and told us about a God in heaven who cared for us and loved us enough to lead us and guide us. And it was then that we were introduced to Jesus, our Boaz. And even though he had no reason to pay us any attention, he came to us and showed us abundant care that we never deserved. And the more and more we learned about him, the more we came to love him. But how could anybody so great, so wonderful, so beautiful as Jesus love somebody so low and poor and wretched as sinners like us. But the day came when we realized the reason we loved him was because he first loved us. He loved us just as we were, even though we were without strength, even though we were sinners, even though we were enemies. Amazing love, how can it be? And the day came when we knelt at his feet with fear and trembling in our eyes and we said, please, Redeem me from my bondage. If you don't redeem me, I have no hope anywhere else. I can't redeem myself. Nobody has ever cared for me. No one has ever showed such love to me as you have. And Jesus looked back and said, I will redeem you. And not only will I redeem you, I want to make you my bride. I want to take full responsibility for you. And you don't have to wait. I'll make sure it happens today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And when the law stood between us and redemption, Jesus showed that it could never redeem us. Only he could pay redemption's price. And even though he could have walked away, even though he could have said it cost too much, even though he could have said, you're a Moabite, you have no place here. Instead, he said, I don't care what it costs. I don't care that you're undeserving. I don't care that you're a heathen. I love you. And no matter what it costs, I will redeem you. And when nobody else was willing or able to pay redemption's price, Jesus redeemed us, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. And now here we sit, poor, undeserving, wicked sinners, but redeemed 
and a part of the family of God. Not only forgiven, but favored. Not only redeemed, but renewed. Not only saved, but sanctified. All because a Jew from Bethlehem chose to love a poor sinner like me. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.